Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fans. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and with me today, my two very good friends. First, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. How are you? Hello, Peter. Much better than last week. Thank you. you. How are you? You sound much better, and you don't have that giant metal uh, show going on outside your uh, window. So this is much better. That's true. The fake Germans have been sent packing. Excellent. And of course, your hero and mine, uh, founder and co-editor of ThirdDegree.net and from the Dallas Morning News, Buzz Carrick. Hello, Buzzard. Welcome. Hello, Peter. Thanks for having me on. I'm calling in today from Cloud9, where I still am after the crazy, crazy results of last night. Which result is that? All of them. All the crazy results in MLS of teams losing at home and, and... people tying games and basically giving Dallas a backdoor into the playoffs. It's it's fun. It is fun, but I got to tell you, I'm a little uh, put out by all of it. All right. Why are you put out? Well, because as we saw today, there's all these uh, people scribing up machinations of how FC Dallas can get into the playoffs and it just seems so straightforward obvious to me that how about we just have the novel concept of winning our last two games and not worrying about all this other shit well that's certainly true they're definitely in a position now that if they went out they're in in fact if they tie and win then they're in so um you know some people sometimes you do things like that because people enjoy those scenarios and those magic numbers and that kind of stuff some people do so um you know it was still fun to scoreboard watch last night and watch everything fall in Dallas's favor so that was fun you know and uh, but you're right. You're totally right. Take care of your business and win, and you're in. It's easy. Yeah, so here we stand. We have two games left in the season, and uh, probably, to your point, Buzz, feeling much better about what happened uh, on Sunday afternoon when NYCFC came to town, uh, scored within the very first minute of the game, and everything looked very doom and gloom. Somehow, and we'll talk about this in more detail, the team fights back to uh, at least get a draw in that game, but... Uh, it was easy to come away from that game thinking, oh, man, they've done it again. They're going to screw it up and uh, leave it to literally the last thing. But now uh, it, it it's not even complete. Now it's been kind of taken out of their hands. I mean, they can win both games and go in easy, and they could even arguably lose both games and still get into the playoffs. Well, that, that would be something. I, I, you know, I, I, it's <clears throat> there's so much parity in the West. Even the Colorado Rapids could still technically get in, which is amazing to me. And Salt Lake, which is like five points ahead, could still lose and not get in. So uh, there's a there's an absurd amount of chaos going on, and and uh, on that level, it's been kind of fun to try and keep up with it. You know, it's just it's so crazy. Uh, you know, for Dallas, it remains simple though. You know, you you can win and you can get in, and 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 this is a club that likes to blow it, and they're going up against Colorado, who likes to knock Dallas out, and they're going up against. Kansas City who likes to knock Dallas out. So there's a lot of work left to be done because if you don't take care of your own business, you will be out. You know, there's five teams that are still potentially in. So you can't just walk in with nothing. You gotta win your way in still. Uh all right, we'll get into the scenarios here in a little bit. Let's talk about Sunday evening. Game did not start well, but I will just go ahead and dive into the topic du jour, which is the thing that is making me nuts, is the fact that at least from my standpoint, it seems that the concept of not starting your best player uh, ended up proving itself out when Cervania had to go off due to the head injury, which is a whole other topic we should talk about. Um, and Paxton Pomacall goes in and immediately, within 45 seconds, uh, wins a ball, runs, sprints 80 yards, and puts the team's first shot on goal and ultimately ends up salvaging the game for the team with a pretty fantastic assist. Why didn't Paxton start the game? Well, as Lucy, <clears throat> excuse me, as Lucy told me uh, on Wednesday, um, Paxton was not cleared to train last week until Friday, and um, Lucy has—I'm going to call it an unofficial rule because it's not really a rule. He just has a belief that if you don't participate uh, in the game planning and the training and the exercises to replicate the other team and such. Uh, at least over the last two or three days of the week, then you're not up for starting. Uh, in particular, in Paxton's case, if you're not physically cleared for more than a day, he's not going to put you in. But he was physically cleared enough, in Luigi's opinion, to be on the bench. So 
um, you know, it, it's perfectly fair to disagree with the, those uh, that concept, but Lucci really believes it, and that so that's the decision he made, and and it ended up being a case where Paxton himself was surprised he got in, uh, you know, and it was only 20 minutes difference between what he played and the actual complete game, and and Paxton post game talked about how it took him 30 minutes to get loose and warmed up because of the uh, pain he's discomfort he's having. And needed the adrenaline to get through that. And, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a bigger concept for Paxton, too, in terms of his development going forward, is learning how to play through discomfort. Because in these long, grinding seasons, you're going to have discomfort. And that's part of being a pro and being a big part of a big team. Like, he is, you know, an MVP-level player. So that's why he didn't start. And uh, whether, whether you buy it or not, you know, that's that's Lucci's belief, and that's the reason he went the way he went. Yeah, I... I... I have so many feelings and thoughts about it, and he's obviously a head coach of a major league soccer team, and I'm not. I'm just an idiot who uh, talks on a podcast. But it seemed to me very quickly that Paxton was more than ready to go for the game. And obviously, if he had been starting, he would have had a completely different set of warm-up and a completely different adrenaline level. And instead of being kind of foisted into a game on a moment's notice, he would have been properly prepared to get into the game. And and while I understand rules are rules and things like that, when you're trying to fight for a playoff spot, it seems like a really, really weird time to hold uh, fast and true to something like that when you're fighting fighting for a playoff spot. But again, uh, Dan and Clark decided to give him the, uh, the uh, coaching gig and not anybody else. Yeah, and on some level, I would agree with you that, particularly this late in the season, right, we should know the team concepts by now, you know, and, uh, and certainly when Paxton is one of your best players, and he is a young guy, I, I question myself, uh, as everybody else did, how if you're healthy enough for the bench, you're healthy enough to start, you know. I, um, Lucci is a young coach, and this is the way he believes it should be, you know, and, and, uh, and I'm not necessarily trying to defend that concept. I'm just offering why he thinks it is the case. Uh, I, I, like you, probably might, would have liked to have seen um, Paxton start for Baji on the left wing because right now I believe when he's healthy, I think the Acosta-Cervania combo is a must, you know, so it, it's trying agree. to figure. Yeah. yeah, you're trying to fix that Jesus Paxton dilemma of ten left wing, whatever. Get Baji out of the game. I'm with you on that. Um, you know, so what you and I again, what you and I would do is different than obviously what Lucci's going to do. And, and I'm at the point where I'm trying to get from Lucci. Why do you believe this? What you know is that what do you do? Why are you making the choices the way you make? So I can explain them. We can talk about them. You know, and we might not agree, but um, you know, it, it is kind of his his policy and. He's stuck with it this season when guys aren't available from, you know, Thursday, Friday, at least sometimes even Wednesday, it's not enough. You're not going to start. So One thing you've got to consider is that when they're making that assessment of whether Paxton is ready to start, they are talking about the left wing. They're talking about end-to-end sprinting for 90 minutes, which with that hip flexor is, you know, a bit more of a consideration than the, you know, that second six role that he ended up playing for most of the game. Well, uh, you know, on the heels of the other uh, recent results and, and not starting Paxton and, and keeping Jesus on, and, you know, to be fair, Jesus had a much better game against New York than he had had in the two previous outings. Um, uh, but again, uh, as the idea was a few weeks ago, it wasn't necessarily trying to displace Jesus from his position. It was more about getting Baji off the field. Um, and I don't know if there's anything else we can say about Dominic Baji. I... I if you want to have a criticism uh, about Lucci, uh, maybe it's not that he's not starting Paxton. Maybe that it, it, he continues for some reason to start Dominic Baji, who I, I don't know. is I don't know, Buzz. What's the story there? Yeah, that one uh, I don't understand myself. I, I think there's a, a mismatch in style. And even if you like the way Baji executes, which I don't, there's a mismatch in style between the rest of the team and Baji. Um, you know, they don't need the over the top component from Baji. They get it, they get it from Barrios, you know, so it's not that, um, I don't, I don't, uh, sometimes I'm at a loss for that choice. I, I mean, up until now, uh, Santiano Mascara has been hurt or not great, but, um, lately he's looked pretty sharp when he's come in. So I, I wonder why that hasn't been a choice. Um, I wonder like you, I wonder why he has not considered Paxton. This is the first week actually that I saw Paxton take reps um, in a left wing type position in the drills. So I think there's definitely that consideration now, you know, why there hasn't been to this point. Maybe it's maybe now that he's a hundred percent convinced that Jesus Ferrer is the answer in the middle. Now it's like, okay, I can get Paxton on somewhere else. I, 
you know, that that left wing has been a problem the whole season. So, I, you know, other than just not changing stuff just to change it, maybe he feels like Baji deserves a run for some reason. But, I mean, there is the there is the interactivity with him and with Baji and uh, Andresic, who are pals and buddies, and maybe he feels like those guys work well together, perhaps. Uh, I, I'm reaching for a reason now at this point. <laughs> they, <laughs> I know that's a worked, stretch, but, man, I don't know. They work extremely well together on social media, on the field. Yeah, and they make one whole player between them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, All right. So then that leads me to uh, probably the first question I should have asked, which is considering how the last few games had gone, the dire situation this team is in, um, is there any explanation for how you let a team score on you on your home field in less than a minute? Like, how do you how do you come out so flat footed? Because that's not just Dominic Baji's fault, right? No. I mean, it also, you can squarely put equal fault on everybody's favorite player, Ryan Hollingshead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you go back and look at that clip specifically, Baji doesn't even pretend to play defense, and Ryan half asses it. You know, he just and, jokes. And they, yeah, they just stand there and let those balls get played in. And Hedges gets beat to the ball, but at least Hedges is playing full out and making a hell of an effort to get to it and just doesn't. But, you know, it's. You can't let people have free service in from the wing, and, and overall, just to come out with that mentality when you're in a playoff crunch, I don't, I don't understand it. It's like it, it's just maybe they're just so confident in their home form, they just you know with having one having not lost in nine or whatever it is, they just like oh you know we're good at home, this is no problem. But man, New York's the best team in the East. It's like, what are they doing? I don't understand that at all. Do you have any sense? of where the collective roster is and their attitude towards Lucci as a coach? Yeah, I, I feel like, um, for the most part, uh, I, I get impressions from guys that they like the way that Lucci wants to play. They like the tactics of it. They like the possession of it. They like the press, you know, um, I think like any of us that talk to Lucci extensively, uh, he gets a because he's a teacher, right? In his background, he gets a little luxury and long-winded. So I think from time to time, guys maybe get a little glassy-eyed. But um, I don't pick up on any big uh, locker room disconnect or anything like that. I mean, I, any guy that's not playing, of course, is like rah rah rah, you know. But anyone that happens for any coach on every team, guys that don't play are grumbling. But you know, in the overall sense of a thing, I don't, I don't, I'm not picking up on any, uh, you know, losing the locker room kind of disconnect or anything. I think most people really like Rilucci and this team is full of guys that really like each other. You know, they're all really positive. We've talked before about the lack of maybe a hard man in this team because they're all really super nice people. Um, so, you know, I think they all listen to Lucci, except for when maybe he gets a little long winded and preachy. But other than that, I think they all buy into his system. I mean, I feel like, uh, when you hear the players talk, uh, there's a lot of respect in in the tone and and the and the words they use. Um, you know, speaking to Paxton after the game, uh, you know he definitely definitely had no issues with any instructions that that Lucci gave him, or you know um, having him play a different role in uh, in Seattle to uh, to against New York City. Um, you know whether there ends up being like a young old divide in the locker room, just with you know players who've come through with Lucci and players who haven't. Um, you know that's that's always a possibility over time, but certainly not in these early stages. Well, uh, so they did fight back and uh, end up tying the uh, tying the score and getting a point out of the out of the game, and that's uh, at least something. And and it's also another goal for Andrezic. So. And and by the way, did I hear correctly that he wasn't in the best of moods after the game? It, it's I don't know if part of it's you know coming from Europe where there is no locker room access. The locker room is sacred. The man, you know, even like the owners won't go in the locker room. Um, to coming over here where, you know, everyone just walks in. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there's a level of discomfort there, and but yeah, he's uh. He he's got a bit of an attitude lately, and it's uh, 
It's, it's not great. What, he started bagging goals and now suddenly he can be a jerk to everybody? Uh, it's just, I don't know if that's the way he feels about it. But. Well, look, I, I get it. If you come from a place where your locker room is is your te- the team and the roster's uh, safe space and you suddenly move over to the United States and not only are there men in there while you're uh, naked and vulnerable. There's also women and children. I, it's a weird scene. As a guy who yeah. not regularly visits locker rooms, um, I, I, to this day, still, after all these years, find it extremely odd. And I can imagine if you're coming from a foreign country where you've never had to do that, uh, why it's really off-putting. Yeah, definitely. And I think this this kind of the issue is like, you know, we either have make zones or we have locker room access. Make zones, players get rushed to get dressed, they get hurried out, they have to be there at a certain time because, you know, people have deadlines. Um, I had MLS on my case, hey, what's going on? Why haven't you filed your story? And I was like, sorry, I, I did the New York City locker room. I waited around for 20 minutes and then FC Dallas was available. Yeah. Normally, if I do the away team, I miss the home team. If they got rid of the locker room access and just did mix zones, I would be totally 100,000% cool with that because I'm not even a player, and I find that completely the most bizarre scene uh, I get on the the few occasions I go down there. I never have figured out how anybody puts up with that. But I'm also an only child and don't like to be naked around people, so... No, hundred <laughs> percent. Like like him, you know, coming from Europe, it's to me it's weird because it's like the sacred space, and just the fifteen minutes in, anyone with a pass can just wander around and do what they want. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, since you were in there, what was the general reaction from the 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 guys about the game and how it started, how it ended? Was was it were they all? Upset about it? Down? Elated? Happy? You know what? And that everyone was visibly down. Everyone wanted three points. I don't think anyone was happy with that start. Um, I don't think anyone was happy with the fact that New York were able to press the way they did for the first thirty minutes until Tinnerholm went off, and then their entire game plan fell apart. Um. Yeah, neither team was happy. Um. Even speaking to New York, um, the the coach, uh, uh, Tyrone, mm-hmm. you know, he said um, one of the guys from the New York radio station was like, hey, do you do you feel you kind of fortunate to walk away with a point? He said, well, no, we should have scored four goals in the first 30 minutes. Just because maybe they should have scored four goals in the next 60 minutes doesn't mean I feel fortunate. Mm. That's a very, very good think, point, yeah. You know, I think everyone was kind of... Both sides felt like they'd lost points. Very weird game. And we should also talk about the incident between Tinderholm and Cervania, which, uh, man, does that not raise all sorts of questions about player safety and what the actual concussion protocol is and who in the hell is uh, running this thing? Because it was, for somebody watching this on television, it was as plain as day that neither one of those players should have ever, ever stepped back on the field. So, in the stadium, I mean, I was on TV. You don't, you know, you don't kind of get the full picture. Um, you get the close-ups on the players being evaluated, and you know, clearly, you could see Tracy, the athletic trainer, shining the light in in Brandon's eyes. You know, and he's off in his own little world. They're both wobbling off. Uh, Lucci has Paxton get his jersey on. Uh, one, the team administrator has the paper in his hand, ready to give to the fourth official for the sub to bring Paxton on. Um, Tracy, when they're on the sideline, Tracy visibly he sort of, uh, you know, puts his hand across, you know, the whole hand across your throat thing. Like, no, you're done. That's it. You're Tr- done. Tracy being the FC Dallas trainer. Yes. Okay. Um, guy you always see running the field with the, the little backpack and the gloves. Um, you know, he he clearly says, no, your day is done. Yeah, that's it. Um, now, the MLS doctor hadn't looked at either player at this point, which was kind of weird. The fourth official just kind of lets him go on, which is even weirder. You know, they're both they're both wobbling about. Neither of them, are, you know, they both clearly should be subbed at this point. Uh, on television, and I don't know if any either of you saw this, 
you could literally see the knot on Tinder Holmes' forehead about the size of a golf ball on Ooh. television. And mm-hmm. and I'm freaked out to hear, because this is, this is a part of the story I hadn't heard, how in the world had the, uh, the unbiased league-appointed physician not inspected both of those guys before they were allowed to go back on the field? Well, I guess it was his mind. I mean, he's... You know, he he finally started to once they both collapsed. Um, you know, but it's it, it was bizarre. Um, That's ridiculous. When I was speaking to Tarina, the NYC coach, you know, he said, "Look, this is a weird situation," and you know, I'm not going on a rant, but MLS needs to figure this out. Well, is the oh. referee supposed to stop the game? Because all I can go by is my guy is telling me he's okay to go, but if there's a doctor there, why isn't the doctor saying? You know, his uh, professional opinion. You know, I'm going to put some of this on Lucci and some of this on Torrent as well and their staff because, uh, you know, it's you can't nobody ever should go by a player telling you he's OK. Every good athlete, every competitor is going to say, yeah, I'm OK, short of them passing out and falling down on the ground. We all know that. We've heard that story a thousand times, and I don't mean to sound like Taylor Twelman here, but boy, if there was ever a case where... Uh, you know, everybody was at fault in this situation. This was absolutely it. And to hear that the f- league physician didn't even look at either one of those cats before they went back on the field, man, that's near criminal in my opinion. So, I mean, you're right. You know, um, the problem is it's you can't force the player off. You know, um, Sarri found that out last year with Chelsea when he tried to take uh, Kepper out in one of the cup finals. But they're on the sideline. How do you let them back on the field? I mean, short of physically restraining them? No, you sub them. You call Paxton or Dracori and you go, you're not going back on the field, son. We're subbing you out. I mean, that's what they did. And, and he was just waved on by the fourth official. So it's like there's who ultimately has the. Who ultimately has the authority? Can the referee say, no, you are clearly done. Get the hell off. I'm stopping the game until you go. It's. it's you know, that it, for all the little checks and the little things they put in place they never quite they never quite put the responsibility on anyone or the, or the authority you know should the ref should the MLS doctor be able to say to the ref this game stops until he comes off the field because he's a danger to himself because that's how it should be well I, I would think at the end of the day the person that runs the team the manager in this case Lucci and uh, Tarrant, both of those guys should have the singular and only say of who does and doesn't get on that field. It's not up to the player. It's not up to the trainer. It's up to them ultimately as to what happens. Uh, and if the trainer told Lucci he's done, how Lucci let Cervania make the decision to go back on the field is he what didn't. is... What, what do you mean? That's he, the point. Cervania didn't give him the chance to make the decision. They'd already pulled Paxton. Paxton's getting ready. Cervania just ran back on and the referee starts the game again. The coaches can't stop the game. Uh, yeah, I, I maybe I'm missing. Uh, I, maybe I'm missing how all of this went down or something. It seems easy to me that Lucci goes over there, grabs, grabs Brandon's arm, and says, "No, you're not going back out there." I, I don't know. May, I, Buzz, is there some aspect of this that I'm missing out on, or? Well, just that the, uh, you know, that Lucci at the, at that point obviously deferred to his player, which he shouldn't have. I mean, I, from the stands, uh, I was sitting with my wife, and uh, th- the amount of time both those guys were down on the ground, I thought, oh, this is a no, no, a bad expression, no brainer. When two guys are down that long, they're both done. They're both going to be subbed out immediately, and they let them go on and play. And I thought this is ridiculous. Neither one of those guys should be in there. And they basically let them run until they got so dizzy they fell over. You know, so I mean, it's a it's a multiple tier failure, um, and in the end, both coaches failed their player by letting their fl- their player dictate that they should stay in. I agree with you that there needs to be some accountability there. For, I mean, the league needs to fix the rules and all that kind of crap. But in the end, your coach is standing there. You saw what just happened as a coach. You know, it's not like it's his ankle. He's like, I'm going to run it off. It's his brain, right? You, know, you got to know the difference and understand that when your trainer said, no, no, he's done, he should have been done. Yeah. If, if, if what you're saying, Dan, is is that Lucci had a Pax ready to go and he had his back turned and while he was trying to get Pax ready, Brandon ran back on the field, I get that part. I mean, I guess there isn't anything he can do about that. But what I don't understand is, is why he didn't immediately substitute Cervania uh, at the next stoppage of play. 
Yeah, uh, I'm with you there. I just in in him running back on, there's not a lot that that Lucci can do in that moment because, like you say, his back is turned. He's he's giving Paxson instructions yeah. while Paxson's putting his shin guards in. And so, so I've read that Tinderholm didn't play against Atlanta last night, and clearly they didn't need him. Um, uh, what is the, what is Brandon's situation? Is he out for the game against Colorado? Uh, as of Wednesday, he was still in percussion protocol, but Lucci concussion said he, protocol. Yeah, what did I say? Percussion. You said like per- a drummer. <laughs> yeah, he's just banging some drums. He's having time uh, with he's, life he's with John Leonard. He's yeah, like the, he's joining the drum line. He's going down to the. <laughs> he exploded like the spinal tap. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. He's in. He was in concussion concussion protocol. Good lord. Cocoon. Now, now you got me thinking about it. Uh, as of Wednesday, um, but Lucci says they expect him to be cleared by the end of the week. But you know that's the thing about percu- uh, concussions. I almost said it again. Is you you never know. Sometimes they linger longer than you expect them to. I mean that's what happened to Ugo Emilu. It's just it never cleared up. It's like the, he had the mild symptoms and Zach Lloyd. and they just yeah and they just kept going and then all of a sudden your career's over. So you know by normal reactions, Brandon should be cleared by this weekend. Again, via Lucci, you know, uh, uh, the way he works, if it's Thursday or Friday, then Brandon's not going to play. But if, if it's, if it was Wednesday and he does train Thursday or Friday, then he should be fine. I don't know the answer because I did not get out there today. Um, but you know, I, I, I would doubt that you would see Brandon this weekend, even if he does get cleared just out of, uh, precaution at this point, you know, and getting a player cleared late in the week. And, and actually we need to cross our fingers that he really does come through it. Okay. Cause that's the, the scary part about concussions is you never really know. Yeah. Particularly at that age as well, when really things are still at the, the tail end of development. Brandon still has a soft spot on the top of his head. He's so young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, you brought up Ugo and I mentioned Zach because in the last, I don't know, uh, 12 months, 12, 18 months, I've actually run into both of those guys independently of each other. Uh, just kind of randomly through life and uh, had just enough time to kind of visit with them and hear their story. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit I'm a, I'm one of those guys that got really, really burned out on Taylor Twellman's ranting and raving about concussions uh, and found it to be really kind of annoying and got, you know, like, wow, dude, you're really uh, beating a dead horse. But after hearing Ugo and uh, Zach even ever so briefly describe what they've gone through with their concussion situations. I uh, really gleaned a new perspective on, on that uh, injury and an appreciation for why Taylor is so passionate about it. I may not always agree with about how he goes about it, but I get why he's that way now. Uh, And so, yeah, to your point, Buzz, maybe it is probably best that Brandon uh, takes an extra week off. Well, the scary thing is that is it's not just, you know, you, you, bang your ankle, do your hamstring or something, it's an, it's an injury that affects you for soccer activities. I, mean, I remember with Zach Lloyd and, and again with Bakary uh, Samari when he came and got a concussion in practice and then never played for FC Dallas or anyone else ever again. No, that's the one that we always forget about is, yeah. uh, that's right. But, you know, the daily update wasn't like, oh, you know, he's in he's in the protocol. It's, he's not sleeping. He can't, he, he yeah. can't sleep at night with this. <laughs> I'm telling you. You know, that's... A 24-hour thing. That's scary. We, we've actually, Andy and I have talked about having Ugo and or Zach on the show to talk about it because if, they're, if they were willing to do it because once you hear Ugo in particular, um, Zach doesn't talk about it quite in the way that Ugo does, um, uh, maybe because Ugo's is a little further in the distance. Uh, it's, it's a frightening, frightening set of symptoms and pain and uh, just awfulness that I can't imagine. So... Uh, And maybe that's why, in particular, for this club, I'm so surprised, and maybe this is a byproduct of everybody changing over since uh, those incidents happened, Uh, I was so surprised to find out how all of that went down on Sunday, because I would think of, for one club in particular, that it's had three players uh, lose their careers over concussions, uh, they'd be a little bit more uh, in tune with the uh, protocol and, and handling it properly because they certainly didn't do that on Sunday and shame on them for that. I mean, it, it's you'd almost expect uh, Hedges to uh, pull Savania aside because he's had a couple of those now. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, so uh, the draw result, and I guess my uh, one question for both of you guys, do you feel like that the draw was better than they deserved, exactly what they deserved, or less than they deserved from that game? Well, I think if you take out the first uh, initial start of the game, I think it was worse than they deserved. Um, you know, the initial goal early on was obviously what may, what makes it be what they deserve because you can't start like that and get, you know, get, get deserve a win. But, um, you know, the adjustments and the changes meant over the majority of the game that they were, they looked better, the better team. So I'm going to say slightly hard done by in the bigger picture, but actually lucky to get it considering the way it started. Yeah. It's kind of hard to assess just with that, for that first 30 minutes, uh, New York City's press was something Dallas couldn't deal with. Um, they couldn't build up. They were, you know, they were, and they couldn't, uh, they couldn't press New York City either. Uh, you know, once Lucci made those adjustments and kind of sat the midfield a little back a little more and uh, switched things up, New York didn't have an answer for it. But you know, if if things go differently and that's somehow and that's. Uh, you know, like uh, Watford playing Man City and it's 4-0 after 20 minutes, you're not coming back from that. Yeah. All right, so uh, crazy, crazy how things tend to come together. And again, uh, we in a perfect world, we'd like to see uh, the good guys win their last two games, but now they have to go to Denver and they have to play a Colorado team who, looky, looky there, they are winners of four of their last five. Am I saying that correct, Buzz? Uh, it was four or five. Now I think it's five of six, I think. Yeah, so this is a, a an interesting turn of events because the, the Rapids themselves, albeit an extremely long set of uh, odds, still have a little bit of space left open for them to make the playoffs. And they certainly would be fighting tooth and nail for, for more than just the fact of getting into the playoffs. Colorado always loves to spoil the party for Dallas. Yeah, this is a team that uh, has knocked Dallas out of the playoffs many times, has eliminated them at the last game of the season a couple of times. You know, there's some uh, – Kellen Acosta up there loves to play well against Dallas. So, you know, they're still alive. This is not going to be an easy game by any stretch of imagination. You know, if you think you're the playoff team, then obviously then you expect to get a result. But Mile High is a tough place to play. Um and, and that team is under the new coach. This is beyond now just a coach, new coach bump. This is a team that's playing some of the best soccer in MLS right now. So Dallas has got their work cut out for them in that regard. So uh, assuming Cervania's out, Buzz, do you have any kind of thoughts as to how you think Lucci will line the team up? And please tell me he's not throwing Baji back out there again. Please, <laughs> well, please tell me no Baji. <laughs> Although you know, it is Baji's former team, so maybe. Yeah. Well, assuming that Brandon is out, uh, which I believe he will be more out of precaution than anything else, even if he does clear the protocol, um, that means you're going to have Acosta, Paxson, and and Jesus in the midfield triangle. Uh, Paxson playing the linking eight role that he did against New York. um, Oh, wait. Pretty well. You mean his best position? Yeah. Well, uh, he's really good at that position. Um, Not to get sidetracked, but the one thing I don't like about it is it takes away... Uh, it takes away his inventiveness in the final third a little bit. He's one of the few guys that can hit gaps and break things and, and tear apart the offensive, the defense of the other team. So, you know, when you play him deeper like that, you get less of that part of his game. Now, he is a great A, don't get me wrong. Um, there's just a trade off there, you know, of his ability to link and his ability to cover and play defense and win balls and recover is, you know, trade off to what he can do in the offensive third. So, um, but with Brandon out, I think it's. Obvious that that's your midfield triangle. The back four is what it is. That's been the same for a long time now. Um, that just leaves you the Barrios, Andresic, uh, whoever's going to be the left wing scenario. Now, um, the, the Barrios is the nine that we saw in Seattle. I don't think that you'll see that in Colorado. That has to do with how deep of a block Dallas is going to play and whether they think like they need an over-the-top component and if there's space to exploit behind the back four. I don't think that you'll see that in Colorado. I think you'll see Andresic at the nine and Barrios at the right wing, which just leaves you the left wing. And if Paxson's in midfield, then you're down to a coin flip of whether it's Baji or Mosquera. I would want to see Mosquera there the way he's been playing lately. I thought every game he's come in, he's been impactful and changed the game. In fact, I think I thought when he came in against New York, he was a big part of the second half change 
that made it work and made uh, make Dallas look like a dangerous team again. So I'm hoping it's Mascara, but you know I I don't know why it's been Baji all along lately. So we'll we'll have to see which one of those guys you get. Interesting. Yeah, I guess uh, it, you know it is like I said, it is Baji's former team, and you always think maybe that's a good opportunity to let a guy get yeah. a game, but uh, he's been so bad of late, and I just don't understand what his game is anyway. Um, I don't know. Uh, even even just based on the number of touches he's getting, it's like the, people aren't passing to him. You know what I mean? He's not part of the flow. Would, he's not part would, of the build. Like the second you? half. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. But the second half pass chart for Dallas is like it's overloaded right. You know, even even Santi was playing through the middle more than he was down the left. So, you know, I don't. that may be a bigger issue of uh, formational balance perhaps. But um, I, I just the guy's not integrated into what's happening on the field, and so I, I I can't imagine that it won't be Mascara, except that it hasn't been lately. So, you know, Lucci likes to stick with what's working. I mean, uh, just just to follow up on the whole uh, the whole Baji thing, you know, part of the game plan would have been to get behind the left back. Um, I can't think what his name is, Matriato or whatever. You know, he likes to get forward, and he kind of forgets to track back. Uh, he's, you know, what Ryan used to be, um, you know, and, and Lucci put Baji up against him in the first half and he just, he didn't stick to the plan, switch Barrios in and Barrios does it perfectly. Um, you know, I know one thing that Lucci said with Baji before is that he likes that Baji will, can squeeze inside and essentially make it like a second striker with, um, you know, for Barrios to cross to, but you know. You can also put a traffic cone there, and it probably do about <laughs> as much. Um, I'd like to see Baji come off the bench. Honestly, I think um, you know against your old team, wear the defense down, give him the last twenty minutes, and go, go on. This is your moment. Prove the Colorado fans wrong. Prove prove everyone wrong. Um, whether he does it or not is another matter. But um, you know, certainly. It'd be nice to uh, see Mascara follow up from his substitute appearance last week with the start. Yeah, I don't mean to keep beating up on Baji, but I, I I've never understood what anybody ever how he got as how he has gotten as far as he has. Um, you know, I only saw him a limited amount of time when he was with Colorado. And certainly now with his time in Dallas, it is not particularly fast, or at least he doesn't, if he has a lot of speed, he doesn't use it, at least that I can tell. He's not particularly skilled. He's not a good finisher. He's not a good header of the ball. He can't play with his back to goal. I, I, is there a part of his game that we're just missing? Or he, what, what is, is Baji's game, Buzz? Tell me, please. Well, I think that's it. I mean, that's... That is his game. Uh, you know, he, he does the, – the, the two things that he has in his favor are that he's relatively inexpensive for a guy in the middle of his career. <laughs> I know you're – are you talking about squad building now? I'm yeah, talking about not it. why he's playing. I'm talking about why he's on the roster and why someone would take him. Um, you know, it's, he's pretty cheap for a guy who's a veteran, experienced player that does produce some level of goal scoring. Now, it's not a high number, um, but – you know, he, he does get somewhere between six to nine goals pretty much every season. You know, it's not. What is he on this year? Six. Has he really already, has he scored six goals this year? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And, uh, you know, he his career pace is about a goal every seven shots, which is not horrible. You know, it's not good, you know, but. It's just um, that he gets seven shots in three games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's he's not a prolific shooter. You know, it's only they're only talking about two hundred and nineteen shots as I look at his stats on his career. You know, Holy but cow. every season he's had every season where he's played, you know, thirty ish games, he's had somewhere between six to nine goals every time. Now, is that your guy you want to be your number one guy? No, no, you don't. But if that's your second or third guy, that's not that's not horrible. The problem is, is that Dallas has no number one guy. There's no 15, 20, 25 goal scorer here. So we all look at Baji and go, you suck. Man. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's only by comparison. But I, I agree with you that I, I don't think he fits this team anymore. 
Uh, I think he may be used to when Oscar was first here, when they played a bigger counterattack, kind of counterpunching style. But Lucci doesn't play that way, and 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 Baji doesn't either. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm with everybody else that I think it would be time to sit him. But, you know, there is a medium-tier MLS value there. You know, I and mean, this is a medium-tier team, so bedfellows, I guess. I mean, I think uh, to your point about the counterattack, or the the lack of a counterattack now, you know, that definitely was playing to his strength, kind of, you know, allowing him to get the ball into feet on the edge of the area and take those last few steps in. Um, you know, what we kind of have now is he's either on the left or he's just kind of standing around waiting for it and it gets in the box and, you know, he has too much time to think about it and just blazes it over, hits someone in McKinney in the head and, you know. Okay, well, let's, uh, do we dare talk about scenarios? Sure. That was a very seductive way to say scenarios. Well, I tried to dress it up to make it sound at least somewhat interesting because, man, I, I just feel like we've, we've fallen so far. I've got, <laughs> but if we're now at the point where we're having to deal with scenarios in the last two games of the season, and let me just say this, if somehow... Uh, you in playing Colorado at Colorado, uh, albeit a team that is behind you in the standings, not being able to beat them and not beating Kansas City at home, who is already done and dusted. Uh, do you even deserve to be in the playoffs at that point? No, if you lose these two games, you, you won't be in the playoffs. Well, no, they could they could lose out and still make the playoffs. They don't even they don't, they control their own destiny for sure. But the way the results from uh, Wednesday night played out, if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, they in theory could lose both games and still make the playoffs. Yeah, Portland would have to beat uh, San Jose. Yes, if San Jose lost twice, yeah, that's true. Because if San Jose if if San Jose ties one game if they get one point, then they would have the tiebreaker against FC Dallas. Okay. So they only need one tie. So San Jose would have to lose out, uh, and then Colorado would have to lose their other game. Because if Colorado beats FC Dallas and then Colorado wins again, then Colorado would be in. Because that would be they would, then they would hold the tiebreaker over FC Dallas too. And who is Colorado's last game? Oh gosh, I just had this looked up. Two seconds. Uh, Colorado plays. At LAFC. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, but LAFC does, LAFC's already won the Shield. They'll probably yeah, rest they some players. You know, they don't really have anything to worry yeah. about. So, you know, that kind of shapes up nicely for Colorado at this point. They could, they could rotate their whole squad, for all we know. All right. Yeah. So the scenarios are what officially now, Buzz? Would you like to lay those oh, on officially, us? Officially, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of... The potential for Dallas to clinch. Well, if Dallas gets four points in their last two games, they're in. That's all you need to so know. So the magic 100%. number is, is the magic number it, four. Any combination that adds to four, and they're in. Yeah, a, a win and a tie, and they're in because that um, because San Jose plays Portland the last game. Both of those teams can't get four. You know, they could one could get some and one can't. They can't both do it. So if you get four, you're in. Um, you could actually clinch this weekend if. If you beat Colorado and San Jose loses, you clinch. If you beat Colorado and Portland uh, draws or loses, then you clinch. And if you draw Colorado, you could get you could clinch if let's see, Seattle loses, San Jose loses, and Portland loses. So um, you know it, it could be as done as early as this weekend uh, for Dallas. More than likely, we're going to have to go to that last game, even if you win, you know, against Colorado. Um, you know, you need San Jose and Portland, one or the other, to pull the shoot. And they did that for you on Wednesday, and they've been doing it for you all for a good stretch run now. So it's entirely possible to do it for you again. So, um, you know, it'll be fun to scoreboard watch a little bit while you're watching Dallas play against Colorado. And I guess the inevitable question is, is you know, is this much to do about anything? Does do Buzz, you're the one that's closest to, to the team. Do you have any confidence that if, in fact, they get into the playoffs, they're capable of pulling anything off? Well, that would depend a whole lot on who you get um, as your other team. Um, you're going to be on the road. Uh, if you're going to Seattle, that's not very good. If you're going to L.A., that's probably not very good. I actually feel like if you're going to Minnesota, 
you might have a little bit of a better chance. Or if Salt Lake manages to win their last two and you get it to somehow bizarrely, they jump way up and you get to go to Salt Lake. I, I think you kind of like your shot on those two teams. But um, uh, the bigger problem is, is that Dallas is not a very good road team this year. I mean, they're 3-10-3 and three on the road. That's abysmal. So almost certainly, no matter who you're going to get, the odds are distinctly in the favor that Dallas will be eliminated, you know, just because of the how horrible they are on the road. But right. if, if you if you want to feel like you have a chance, I like my chances at Salt Lake or at Minnesota better than I do at L.A. or at Seattle. And uh, and and we now know, uh, the you know, the playoff structure, it's different this year. It's all yeah. single game elimination. Is there an is there a is there a play in game? I can't remember. I was trying to look this up while we were you were talking, Buzz. Does eight play seven in some sort it, of weird play on game? It'll be no, seven, seven plays two. Oh, it does okay. Is that how yeah, it works? The number one has a bye and then seven two or uh three six or four five. All right. So that's why when you when we were looking at the standings, that's why I was mentioning um the idea that you you, you can't face LAFC, you know, right now. Second place is Minnesota, you know. But, again, the parity in the West means that the, that whole Minnesota down to Real Salt Lake is five points to two games to play. So, you know, you could you could end up facing any one of the four if you get in. And maybe even if Portland runs on a, runs on a run, you could maybe even face Portland. I don't know. It just depends. All right. So I'll, I'll throw this one out at you. Knowing that you're going to be on the road, right? Yeah. Which of the teams would you most like to play at this point? Like if you if you if somebody said you could pick any team that's going to be in the playoffs with you, which one mm-hmm. would it be? Well, based on current form, I'd pick Portland. Uh, they, Portland, they're, they're a mess at second. home right now. Yeah. Say that. No, again? but he just said any team. Oh. Yeah, so. I just meant any team. Like now, I guess maybe I should I should refine that. A team that you're likely to play as the seventh place team. Uh, well, not Seattle. Dallas stinks there. Um, I think, I think I would, if I could pick, I'd probably pick a real salt Lake. I think, I think Dallas has actually gotten a couple of results at salt Lake before. And my second choice would be Minnesota. Hmm. Interesting. I Dan, think I'd flip yeah. that Minnesota first RSL yeah. second. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which have, did, I don't know if either one of you have access to the athletic, um, and Paul Tenorio's shocking story today about the state of Major League Soccer playoffs in certain stadiums that are may not be available during the playoffs. Have you read this? No, no, I'm not aware of it. Oh my gosh! Is this the story that's been going around all year that uh, New York City may have to play at the Mets? Well, that's that's part of the story. So, yes, uh, NYCFC is in a situation because the Yankees are so good this year that Yankee Stadium may not be available for for much of the uh, major league playoff uh, major league playoffs. And if they do, um, they'll likely play their games at City Park. Is it City? What's it called? City Field. City Field. Yeah, City Field, where the Mets play at least for the early games. The most worrisome is what happens to MLS Cup because both City Field and Yankee Stadium um, have theoretically could have events that would take priority over theirs. The Yankees playing in the World Series, and there's some other event that uh, City Field's already booked for. Um, so they could not play in either one of those places. And now the speculation is, w- could, in theory, MLS Cup featuring NYCFC be held at Red Bull Arena? Wow. In this weird scenario. But it but boys and girls, it doesn't stop there. Paul also reports that Seattle has some scheduling problems with uh uh CenturyLink due to Seahawks games. And the one that completely blows me away, Minnesota United actually has a like third division game football uh grit NCAA gridiron game scheduled at Allianz Field that may take precedence over a Minnesota United playoff game unless the club is somehow able to finagle something with the football teams that they've already put a deal in together for. 
Well, they did the contracts. I mean, that's that's poor planning on their part. Well, I'm thinking if I'm a Minnesota United, if I'm a Loons fan, aren't you asking yourselves, well, wait a second. You guys thought we were going to suck so much this year that you went ahead and yeah. cut a deal and signed contracts to hold football well, games in our stadium? Well, yeah, didn't everybody? Well, oh, wow. but your own team? Man. Isn't that Let's crazy? find out what wow. the Hunts have got booked for November 10th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably that's a really that's a good question. That's a very, very good question. Yeah, I'll read from this is uh, Paul Tenorio's article um, uh, in The Athletic today. Allianz Field in Minnesota is unavailable on October 19th as it hosts the Tommy Johnny NCAA Division Three college football game between St. Thomas and St. John's. Should Minnesota United clinch a home playoff game, the Loons would have to play at home on the 20th on a field that is potentially showing the damage in lines from a college football game unless they can manufacture a solution with St. Thomas. So, wow. they, they, so they'd have to move to a different date to get the game in, but then they'd have to play their essentially their, uh, one of their first playoff games in club history on a torn-up football field. Oh, could the, be worse. They could have to play on turf. And by the way, the Falcons also have a conflict uh, with uh, Atlanta United for the nineteenth, twentieth uh, weekend. Well, right now, the FC Dallas only shows uh, a high school football game on November eighth. So yeah, November tenth is open. All right, uh, let's move on to other stuff. Uh, Buzz, you are the biggest nerd in the whole world. You went out yeah. and uh, checked out some uh, FC Dallas Academy in the uh, big derby against Solar on Saturday, didn't you? I did. Uh, it was the, um, I, I watched the 17s and the 19s. I did not watch the 15s who won like 6-1. to one. I watched the 17s and the 19s who both lost 3-1. to one. Uh the 17s got run over. The 17s for FC Dallas right now is a big project in development. They are, at this time, not very good. Um, there's lots of reasons why, and we could dive into that some other day perhaps. Um, the 19s looked a lot like the senior team in that uh, they let Solar score twice in the first five minutes. Wow. It was like I, I hadn't even finished writing the lineup down, and I'm like, what is going on? Uh, it was just I don't know whether they assumed that they were going to just be fine um, but you know, f- from then on, after Dallas woke up, then the rest of the game it was one to one, and the game was pretty even. Um, Solar is making a mistake really good. I mean, that 19s team is half made up of uh, at their core that the defending DA champions from the 17s. Um, but uh, you know, the 19s are also missing the FC Dallas 19s are missing players. I mean, that you, you have to remember that we're starting to see the evolution of these teams where guys are being signed and moved up. You know, they were missing three players. And you could even argue that they were missing five players if you include guys that are actually young enough for the 17s but play with the 19s all the time, like Jonathan Gomez and Dante Seeley. Um, so, you know, there's a bunch of pros already gone from that team. So it's not as good as it was. Uh, but in this game, they were flat-footed, and, and Solar was the better team. And Solar's got a couple of guys on that 19 team and their 17 team that are going to be professionals someday. Um, they're not going to come through FC Dallas because they're not part of the FC Dallas Academy. Bizarrely, FC Dallas owns their homegrown rights, so nobody else in MLS can sign them either. But, you know, there's a couple of dudes on those teams that should be playing at USL1 and not be playing for Solar. So it's an excellent club. Uh, on this day, they were better than FC Dallas in both those games. So um, I didn't learn anything about anyone from FC Dallas that affected my opinion about them. Um, Bailey Sparks for Solar is a guy that needs to be playing at a higher level for sure. So. Um, it was still enjoyable, and it was still fun to watch Tanner Testament hit bombs <laughs> on free kicks better than anybody that can for FC Dallas. And yeah, you know, uh, from that, you actually were tweeting out some logic about uh, maybe his future position should be center back. Yeah, you know, um, one of the questions with him, if you're concerned about a pro career in the center of the field, is that a guy that big um, can get turned by a really quick uh, darting sort of player. So believe it or not, there is actually some thought that you can be too big to play in the middle and he's well over six feet tall, but I think he's plenty good enough and he would be a perfectly serviceable professional midfielder, but um, he is a good defender and he can shield guys off really well. And he's got size and he's good in the air. He can hit 50 yard passes on a dime. He can dribble the ball out of pressure. He can play ticky tacky, a little bing, bing, build up play, and he can shoot from distance and score from like 40 yards out. All of which to me sounds like a modern superstar center back 
um, that could be worth millions. So, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a chance that you should try that. You know, what, what's it going to hurt the 19s or Tanner Testament to play center back for a couple of months between now and whatever you're going to do with him next season in terms of pro contracts? You know, I think it's worth a look to see if uh, there's maybe a real future for him in that position because what well, I think Dallas is, has not produced out of that academy is center backs. There's not been some good ones yet other than Richards, but he obviously is out of the picture. So, yeah, um, I think it's worth a look. I mean, I think the guy's got all the potential for a Lucci ball center back. I mean, certainly can already do anything Reto Ziegler can do, minus Reto's World Cup experience. Yeah, the other thing that I was thinking about, uh, your comments about the quality of some of the solar players and that they should be playing at a higher level, uh, and we don't have to do this now, but that opens up that whole crazy conversation about what FC Dallas's true position should be in this marketplace in terms of funneling players to pro careers and being yeah. an outlet for all academy teams in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But because of the competition and the way everybody kind of treats each other, and again, it's a two-way street, uh, it just never seems to work out that way. It's far more adversarial than it ever possibly should be. Yeah, it shouldn't be this way, but it is. Uh, if you wanted to real quickly use the current rules to do what you're talking about, the way you could do it was uh, guys could take a gap year or a last year at the academy and come to Dallas for one season. Then they could go through that route just like Chris Richards did. Um, you know, that's the methodology you could use. But obviously, no one in this market. Is, they're all at loggerheads with each other, Texans, Solar, and FC Dallas, all three. They're all three responsible. They're all three at fault. I mean, I wish it wasn't this way, but there definitely is, you know, some antagonism between those clubs, and they definitely have played grudge matches. And in this case, Solar was 100% up for it and ready to, and came out gangbusters and blazing, and Dallas was asleep, and it cost them. Yeah, well, good, good for Solar. And the other update was there was a bunch of local Open Cup action this weekend. Um, uh, did you, anybody attend any of the games? Uh, our, our good buddy, John, uh, of course he did <laughs> attended one of them for sure. Um, I we saw the score lines. <laughs> yeah. How we could, well, maybe we'll do a cup show at some point, um, yeah. this winter. Um, Enositas from Fort Worth won. Um, they beat, uh, oh, who'd they beat? Lone they beat, Star. uh, Lone Star Republic, uh, coached by, uh, Zach Lloyd. Um, and then uh, NCX Riados, of course, beat F FC Fort Worth. Um, Riados won as they always do. And now you're going to have basically for me, the two best, uh, we're going to call them amateur teams in North Texas in the Metroplex are going to play each other, um, for the bragging rights to who's the best team in the Metroplex. And the last few years, it's been Riados. Perhaps Enositas can make a claim, uh, for that, uh, that spot. That should be a good game. I'm actually going to try and go to that one. Um, it's down at, uh, that uh ntx field down in uh, oh, branch uh, yeah oh no no i got okay yeah. so let me let me give you a little background so they are playing their game at premier park which is the uh facility owned by the north texas premier soccer association which is the men's amateur sunday league that's been around literally since the 1970s um the league uh, convinced its membership back in the late 90s to take out a giant loan, and I, I think it was close to a million dollars to buy this mysterious wow. plot of land uh, down in Balch Springs. I'm telling you, Balch Springs is not a fun place to be on a dark Sunday night. And it's this weird plot of land, and it's a volunteer organization. And they've, you know, they had all the best intentions, but uh, time and reality and cost and money, it is an absolute shambles of a facility. Uh, they have they have seven fields, and only one of which is, and this is the field that they have scheduled this game on, is barely passable for Sunday pub league action. Uh, and I am shocked that they are playing a U.S. Open Cup qualifying game again on this field because I believe Riados played the game that they won last week on this yep. same field. And let me say this before I get into this whole other piece. It's possible that Riados wants to play there because it's such a huge advantage to them being used to play on what is really a giant uh, uh, carved-out piece of moonscape. 
um, stuck in between a cement factory and uh, people with guns who don't want soccer balls kicked in their yards when the ball goes over the fence. I'm not kidding. Um, and uh, and so it's a, it's really shameful to me to find out that Open Cup games are being played there. And when I read that, it immediately dawned on me, here is a huge opportunity for Dan and Clark Hunt and FC Dallas to come swooping in as the good guys, right? Like, we want to be the the uh, guiding light for the sport in our community we have all of these amazing soccer fields we have moneygram we've got toyota uh, park we've got all these fields why don't you guys come play your open cup game on them and to the point where i'm thinking why doesn't fc dallas make those two facilities available for all of these local qualifying games for teams that don't have a proper field to play on and you and it just i beg the question one beyond is there maybe a rule in the open cup rules that would prevent this from happening but if let's say there's not uh, man doesn't that just scream goodwill and brownie points for fc dallas if they did something like that Oh yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that concept completely. I don't believe there is a rule because we know Rayados has played at um, Richland College. Uh, well, they had to pay for games. that. They had to pay for sure. That. No, uh, I know, but it, uh, that just proves that you can play wherever you want to. That if you can get a field that meets whatever their minimum standard is, and if this thing in Ball Springs meets their minimum standard, I don't know what their minimum standard would be. Uh, yeah, I, could you you know because when they play all these Open Cup games, assuming you could get everybody to agree to it, could you imagine the opportunity to go to MoneyGram or up to Frisco yeah. and Toyota and have all of those Open Cup games being played side by side with each other? What That'd a, be really cool. That would be such a cool yeah. scene uh, for something like that. Well, I don't know. One if of it, the... I don't know if that offends Dan from a uh, from a cup <laughs> standpoint, um, but uh, I think it'd be cool. Uh, just mildly. <laughs> one, one of the things this club will need eventually, um, and a lot of clubs around the world have this, is what, what they call essentially an academy stadium, which is a small field that maybe holds like 3,000 people, maybe 4,000 people. Uh, Money Grammar would be an ideal spot for that. Um, you know, whether you wanted to do it for North Texas to play in for a little while, you know, it's that kind of small little facility where you could control the revenue, control the gate. And, and in a case like this, let a local team play in an Open Cup, uh, borrow it basically for free. And if you never went that route, just let them have MoneyGram for free or um, if they wanted turf, Dr. Pink Stadium for free or, or uh, Adidas Field number 1, the training field up there. And, and uh, you know, or that one's got a fence around it, so maybe not that one. One of the other training fields, you know, it's there's no reason why you couldn't just let them play a game out there. Uh, and the the goodwill and the and the press you would get from it would exceed the cost of whatever it would be to unlock the gate and let them in and turn the lights on. I I, I know exactly what the fields at MoneyGram cost, um, uh, and uh, I started getting. I, you know, I'm very lucky that I'm getting to play in a men's over forty league that just launched uh, out at MoneyGram. There's a new open division and over thirty and an over forty. And we've been getting it, getting to play out there on Sunday evenings and uh, late afternoons. Dude, that is the coolest place to play. Um, one, the downtown skyline is off in the distance, and you can see it so clearly from that position. And the other, the coolest part about playing at MoneyGram, other than the beautiful fields, obviously, is the fact that you're essentially just just from not being directly underneath you're just off to the west of the landing pattern for love field so as you're playing soccer these planes are landing and it's the coolest thing um it's a really great place and yeah you know in the original plans for moneygram there was a mini stadium that was supposed to hold like a thousand people that was supposed to be yeah. built uh, by the city but then they scrapped Perfect. it and yeah it would be a great place for a little stadium like that weirdly they did excavate the land it's just sitting there yes it is it's primed it, it just needs the the uh, structure right um, yeah. And and we've seen some of these weird little pop up stadiums lately. Didn't San Antonio build a, a, a pop up stadium for the Scorpions back then? Wasn't that one of those weird little like temporary pop up constructions of stands? I mean, their stadiums permanent. No, the one before that, I think somebody. There's, yeah, there's, I don't remember. There's a minor league team in Texas who either does currently or previously had one of these new uh you know easy to assemble pop-up stadiums and you can put several hundred people in each of them i don't know it just it screams opportunity to me and uh yeah. on so many levels it would be super cool 
Okay. Well, guys, uh, thanks so much uh, for all the conversation today. I, I guess we'll find something out. We'll, we'll know more. I mean, you know, win or lose, things aren't completely uh, locked in or, or doomed either way, depending on how Dallas plays. You'd just like to see the guys put in a, a get three points and get a solid win on the road. That would be uh, massive going into the playoffs for sure. Well, uh, Dan, thank you uh, for your help this evening and all of your good insight. Thank you. And Buzz, thank you, sir, for all your hard work. Thank you very much. And thank you, FC Dallas fan. We will speak to you next week on another fun-filled edition of Third Degree, the podcast. FC Dallas Curious.